This podcast is brought to you by Blackbee Ministries International. To find out more, visit blackbee.org. Well, welcome to the Richard Blackaby Leadership Podcast. My name is Sam, and I'm your host. And helping to take our leadership to the next level is Dr. Richard Blackaby. Good to be with you, as always, Sam. It's always a pleasure, Richard. And uh, you've got your Bible in front of you today. I do. I felt like you needed some. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. I'm, I'm, I'm always... Uh, <laughs> Whenever I've got my son-in-law around, I feel the need to pull out the Word of God. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, uh, we won't linger on uh, that too long, but... Uh, uh, yeah, but I, Sam, I do... I thought maybe today we would talk about what I would just call on reading the Bible. And, uh, you know, I think especially as we're well now into a, a new year that I suspect there were some resolutions and and uh, commitments that I think for a lot of us, we want to really spend some quality time in God's Word this year and just uh, soak in it, uh, study it, uh, memorize it, meditate upon it. And I thought it might be interesting, uh, you know, you're actually in a Bible study that I teach every uh, every Sunday morning, and you know some of just the way I enjoy uh, teaching God's Word, just yeah. really kind of go through pretty well verse by verse and um, and we've got a great class of all ages uh, in that room, and uh, and I like to just ask questions and just try to get a you know look at a verse from different perspectives. And I think we've all been to Bible studies, we've all heard sermons, and sometimes I'll hear preachers. I mean, they sound quite eloquent, and they shout, and they have a great preacher's voice. But when you pull all the the, the rhetoric aside. You, you keep thinking, well, what have they said that I don't, it's not obvious or that mm-hmm. I, I, I already know all that stuff. Like they shouted it, you know, they, uh, yeah. are there any insights but, beneath all of the, yeah, like I want to, why is it that some people, whenever they unpack uh, a passage, they keep pulling stuff out that I've never seen before. So, mm-hmm. so I thought what I might do is just, just drop into one of my favorite chapters in one of my favorite books, at least for now. And that's uh, the Gospel of Mark, and uh, I preached on this this chapter uh, a number of times, but um, a couple years ago I was just using this approach and just reading through you know what would be considered you know well known stories, but just verse by verse asking questions, saying, "God, I know what I've seen before, but what haven't I seen before?" And I think that's a great question, um, and I've said this before, but. Uh, I like marking up my Bible and underlining and highlighting and writing notes in the margin and trying to capture what I, what I see there. Um, but the problem is when you go back and read that same page again, you're immediately drawn to what you've already seen before. Mm-hmm. And you have to kind of really peer deeply to get past your underlining and your highlighting to see what you haven't seen before. Uh, and so that's always my my question. It, it never hurts to be reminded of what's there, what you, what God said to you before, but you also want to always be saying, "But but God, what haven't I seen yet? What what new, fresh perspective?" And of course, when you when you open God's Word, there's there's just a depth after depth that you can go. You, yeah. you can always go a little deeper. And so I thought maybe we could just look at Mark chapter 4. Well, before you do that, two things come to mind when you just mention, you know, all your notes and stuff in your Bible. One is it, it might be good to just have a an unmarked Bible, one that you haven't written in. Well, they always start out that way. Yeah. <laughs> have a fresh one and maybe in a translation that you're not familiar with as well. It, you know, to if you if you're going through something that's yeah. familiar, 
have something that's an unfamiliar translation and it hasn't been written in. And I think that can kind of help set the stage cleanly for you as yeah. you look at a familiar passage with, with new insights. Yeah, and I, I, I will do that uh, You know, I, when, my, when my Bible kind of gets filled up. A lot of times I'll think, okay, I've got a, a new Bible here. It's time just to retire the old one. And uh, just as an aside, I like to kind of save those uh, old Bibles. Partly, sometimes I want to pull it back out and mm-hmm. try to find notes I wrote to myself there. But, but also, I think it would be kind of cool if down the road, uh, all eight of my grandkids could have a, a, one of my old Bibles yeah. with my notes in it just as a keepsake. And so be thinking about that, too. There's a, I think it's good to kind of retire your Bibles after a while and, um, and then maybe pass it on to a grandkid or a child at some point. Yeah. Uh, down the road, so I, I, I think it. I, I have my dad's Bible; it's old one. I've got my grand, both my grandfather's uh, Bibles, and it's just interesting to see the stuff they kept in there, and you know, different handouts or poems or sermon notes or things in there as well. It's pretty rich. But mm-hmm. um, so uh, Mark four, maybe just beginning verse thirty. It it, it says, and he said. Uh, with what can we compare uh, the kingdom? Well, let me, I'll, I'll go down to verse 33. Uh, he's talked about the kingdom of God. He's talked about the sower uh, and the, the seed and so on in this chapter. Then you get down to verse 33, and he says, He was speaking the word to them with many parables like these, as they were able to understand. Uh, he did not speak to them without a parable. Privately, however, he explained everything to his own disciples. And that alone is is quite a fascinating uh, passage because it says that when Jesus taught and, and preached, he constantly used parables, which would be what we would call an illustration. Mm-hmm. And it's funny to me now because there are those who really frown upon illustrations and sermons. They just say, you, I've had people criticize me because they said, well, I don't want to hear stories about your family or your work or your, your shortcomings. I want to hear what God has to say in his word. But um, and of course, I whenever I'm preaching, I do unpack God's word. I, we always have a, a scripture passage that we're looking at. But Jesus, uh, who is God Himself, I mean, He doesn't have to illustrate anything. He could just make declarations. But mm-hmm. He's constantly telling stories. Like if there's like Jesus has been in heaven. Like He knows He knows what the throne of God looks like. Like yeah. He there's a lot He could just declare without having to tell us a parable about a good Samaritan. Uh, and yet uh, he does. And the, the thing about uh, parables is that, um, on the one hand, they're very simple. Mm-hmm. You know, the good Samaritan, you, uh, the prodigal son. If you want to know what our Heavenly Father is like, the prodigal son story is a great, great story about that. But uh, at the same time, uh, parables, instead of just Jesus just outright saying, okay, this is what heaven's like, this is what God's like, um, he tells a story. And so, even though the story is very simple and very straightforward, uh, there's something about stories that can also kind of siphon out uh, those who don't have the right heart. And so if you just want to have a critical spirit, if you want to just think you're smarter than God, uh, you, you want to be filled with pride, then you're going to stumble over parables and simple stories. Uh, if you come with a pure heart, uh, the, the faith of a child, then you're going to just grab hold of those stories and they're just going to bless your socks off and you're going to realize that in every parable there's a great truth. And so, mm-hmm. so Jesus um, is telling these parables 
And uh, for some people, they're going to grab hold of those wonderful truths. And for others, th- 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 those simple stories are going to actually blur uh, the truth to them. They're, they're going to stumble over those stories. And then it says, uh, privately, however, he explained everything to his own disciples. So uh, in other words, Jesus is going to make sure that his disciples don't miss the point. And so Jesus spends a whole day um, telling, preaching, telling parables, uh, unpacking truth. And then, then you, at that point, he's at the end of the day. And the disciples, of course, are doing crowd control. They're, you don't know if they're running back and forth getting food and snacks for Jesus and you know, flasks of water to drink or whatever. Uh, but they're tired, and they've been talking to people and answering questions all day long. And so when you get to verse 35, which is really where I want to just dr- jump in, it says, on that day, and of course, when, he, when you read on that day, you, you have to say, well, on, on what day? Uh, let's, obviously, Mark wants to have a setting here. Uh, if, if the setting didn't matter, the Gospels, you have to realize, it was, they, they didn't sit down on a laptop and just whip off uh, narrative as they went. They, they're on, uh, on ancient parchments. Uh, it's not that easy. It's expensive to write. Um, and so they're going to be sparing in their words. And so when they yeah. do say something, like on that day, then that's because the gospel writer must think that that's important. So uh, when it says on that day, you, you look back in the verses before that and you realize, well, Jesus has been teaching and, uh, and he's been trying to help his disciples understand. Uh, he's been ex- even explaining the parables to them, which he doesn't do for anyone else. And so that's the day. He's been teaching all day long. It's on that day. And one would think, uh, by the way, we have a lot of misconceptions about discipleship. We think that uh, discipleship is basically just sitting in a classroom and learning all day. Mm-hmm. But Jesus never taught that way. He, he will teach. He will give you truth. Um, but, at, but then what we're going to notice here is that after uh, Jesus has taught his disciples truth, he's going to have them practice the truth. And so it says, when evening had come. And again, why does why does he mention evening? Um, for one, it just it means when darkness set in, uh, it's time to end the day. You can't keep teaching in the dark uh, to crowds of people. It means that our work is done. Um, it also means it's dark, and it means that these men are tired. It's time to go find a restaurant and sit down and unwind. And and I, I tell you, I've done that many a time where I've been speaking well into the evening, and then it's, do you guys want to go? Let's get something to eat now. Let's just kick back and relax. We've been going hard all day. I think the disciples, you know, maybe are thinking of that. And maybe one other thing is you have to ask yourself, um, w- what happens when it gets dark, when evening comes? Why, I think what Mark is doing is he's starting a story that says on a dark and stormy night, and this is the dark part. He's saying what's about to happen is going to be terrifying, and there's something about when darkness settles in, when evening comes. Why is it that so much of the horror genre, the, the crime stories happen at night in the darkness? And so uh, you, you, as you're reading this, you think, now Mark is painting a, a very compelling picture here. Uh, it's after a long day's work. It's getting dark. It's the end of a long day. Um, and it says, uh, he, he, he told them, Let's cross over to the other side of the sea. Uh, of course, they're on the Sea of Galilee. They're on the western side. 
and basically he's going to tell them let's let's get in the boat and go to the eastern side and the, the at the greatest length of that sea would be about 14 miles so but what you, but you also have to when you look at that notice what he says he just says let's go to the other side now do you notice what he doesn't say like what's missing there like any particular place on the other side. Yeah, and why? Like, why are we doing this? Like, yeah. it's it's night. It's dark. It's we're tired. Uh, we put in a full day already. Yeah. Why we, now? Yeah. Like, and for what purpose? Uh, but, but you know what that says to me? Uh, we don't always need to know. Uh, yeah. All we need to know is let's push off and and put out to sea. Um, and of course, a lot of us struggle with, uh, well, but where? What, what do you want me to do? How long will this be? How long will it take? How hard will it be? Can yeah. I afford this? Um, I, a lot of times, God doesn't give us all the answers. He, he gives us enough uh, information for us to take the next steps. Um, and sometimes with him, that's just enough. And so so they, they push out to sea. Now, what's what I think is important to, to notice is that they're about to sail into a terrifying storm. Um, and the only reason that they sail into a terrifying storm at night is because of that verse, because Jesus told them to. Mm. And of course, one of the things you have to ask yourself is, did Jesus know, I mean, did he know that he was making his disciples after a long, hard day's work at night, set sail straight into a terrifying storm that they, they thought was going to kill him, um, because have you ever have you ever thought that God told you to do something, and then after you started obeying, things got really bad. They instead of getting better, they got worse. Um, and then of course, when that happens, you immediately think, "Well, I must have made a mistake. I must not have heard God correctly." Because I, I thought God told me to push off to sea here, but but I ran into a storm that I think is going to kill me. So obviously, that's God couldn't have told me that. I must have misunderstood. Mm-hmm. He must have meant push off next Tuesday once the storm passes. Uh, yeah. he, what he probably meant was hold up in a local hotel until the storm is over and then set out. Um, but surely I must have made a mistake because God would not knowingly command me to do something that would lead directly into a storm. But I, I could tell you so many times people have said, well, I, I thought God called me to that job, but once I got there, I discovered that the boss was a jerk or I I thought God called me to be the pastor of that church, but when I got there, I discovered there were all kinds of problems that they hadn't told me about, and a storm began to brew. I must have somehow made a mistake. Well, maybe not. Uh, here it just says he told them, set out, let's go. Um, and so, but that, that always raised a question for me. Did he know? Of course, he's, he's not fully in all of his powers of the Godhead as, uh, as Jesus. He's become a man. Uh, but he still is divine, and I suspect that he probably did know what was coming, um, and he also knew how it would turn out. And so he's he's not afraid, but he's gonna he's gonna get these disciples of his scared to death uh, quite shortly. Yeah. And so it goes on and says, uh, and other other boats uh, were with him at the end of verse thirty six, and that's that's one of those phrases that just will fly right under the radar. And I I, I find myself. It's those phrases that I think you have to be really careful with because, like, it, it seems like a pretty insignificant phrase. Like, uh, other boats are with him. Like, yeah. why even mention that? Like, the only boat you really care about is the boat Jesus is in, right? But w- what's interesting about that phrase is 
first of all, you never hear about those boats again. Yeah. Uh, they, don't, they don't get mentioned again. It's just one passing reference. You, um, you never hear who's in those other boats. Uh, now, and so you just think, well, that doesn't matter. Let's just keep our eyes on Jesus and, and who cares about other little boats. But, but sometimes it's those little sort of seemingly throw-in comments that can have such enormous significance. And, uh, of course, there's 12 disciples in Jesus. And if you've ever seen uh, what those little first-century fishing boats look like, there is kind of one that they have uh, there by the Sea of Galilee in, in the museum that you can kind of see the outline of it. And um, you'd be hard-pressed to put 13 men in there. Um, and so, there's, and of course, we know James and John had a boat. We assume Peter had a boat. So just those two sets of brothers alone, there could have been two boats. But uh, it says there were other, other boats or other little boats, uh, King James says. Um, and, uh, of course, we also know that there were other followers. We know there were women who followed along with them. Uh, so there might have been a small flotilla of people. And so why does, but, but why does Mark care? Like, uh, why does Mark mention that? And sometimes you have to meditate upon that. And, of course, yeah. sometimes the, if they don't explain to you, you, you don't know for sure why. All you can do is just ponder. But I think sometimes it's a good thing to ponder on little phrases like that. And I, you don't want to make stuff up. I, I've heard people that had elaborate theories they developed uh, on a, throw, a throwaway comment, it seemed, and you just think, that's you're out on a limb there. Uh, but but I, I, my dad used to always talk about using a sanctified imagination to just say, not, not to make things up, but just to ponder, to, to ask questions about that. And so one thing that says to me is, um, even though Peter and James and John, Jesus, some of those people are certainly in the limelight through the Gospels, I, I, don't, I think we need to be reminded now and then, and I think Mark's doing that here, to just mention the fact that there were always others. Uh, yeah. And there were some that aren't even named, aren't even identified. They're just other little boats. Uh, that's all we know. We don't even know who's in the boats. But it's just a, a, perhaps just a, a nod to remind us um, you know, there are others that were also a part of the movement, and the kingdom of God doesn't just consist of Peter, James, and John's. There's people in little boats as well that have their role to play. And, uh, but, I, but I also, I think sometimes it's good to ask, and, and so uh, are, there, are there little boats in my life? Like, are there little boats sailing along beside me and my boat? Uh, and, you know, I, I, I had to really dwell upon that for a while because uh, what God said to me as I pondered this uh, a while ago was, uh, well, you, you got three kids, you got a wife. And they're all sailing along with you, and your kids all now are adults, but they're in their little boats as well. And uh, and of course, two of my kids work work for me, um, as you do. And so the way I conduct myself, the way I live, the way I lead, has a direct effect on those little boats. If I say let's let's put off to sail this way, well, it's going to have an effect. If I'm uh, if I go into a storm and I'm fearful and afraid and anxious and worried, that's going to have an effect. Um, mm -hmm. How I handle the, the storms in my life is going to have a direct impact on my kids as well. And, uh, you know, we've talked about this before when, when COVID struck. It, it had a, 
significant impact in our ministry. We we had a, I had personally about a hundred uh, different speaking engagements that was canceled because of COVID. And our, of course, our ministry re- relies upon donations and uh, honorariums from when I speak and book book sales from conferences I'm speaking at, and uh, to undergird and pay our sal- salaries of our employees. And and all of a sudden, a hundred uh, different engagements are canceled. And it was as if, uh, as my ship, uh, our ministry encountered a storm, uh, it wasn't just affecting me. It was affecting all the little ships that were sailing along with me, mm-hmm. and we were all facing the storm. And um, and those little ships have a tendency to look at the big ship and say, well, how are they handling it? Are they, mm-hmm. are they battening hatches? Are they manning the lifeboats? Are they wringing their hands in fear? Uh, or are they are they facing it with confidence and and and, and joy and and peace and um, and Jesus just said to me in that um, just just remember that there are other little ships that sail along with yours and they're yeah. all watching you and I've discovered that sometimes when I face a crisis I don't even know if the main point is how whether the crisis gets resolved or not. Uh, the main point may be the the people in the audience watching how I handle the crisis. Mm-hmm. And uh, however the crisis ends up, good or bad, uh, all those little boats will have had a front row seat to see how a man of God or a woman of God uh, handles crises, hand, handles storms. Yeah. And so, so Jesus has taught all day long about, about how you can trust God, how God is sovereign. But now he wants them to experience it. And so he jumps in his boat, and there's other little boats that, that set sail alongside him. And they're going to sail into the very same storm that he sails into. Now, do you think these boats were, um, and again, this may be too imaginative, but like, were these boats, you think, going to be on that those waters anyways? Like, Do you think there were already other boats out there? And could part of the reason that Jesus wanted to go out there is he knew there was a storm coming and there were other boats that if he didn't go on the water that that night maybe yeah, I don't, would have perished. I don't, I, don't like, know. I don't know. Maybe that's too yeah. far down the uh, yeah. and, imagination rabbit yeah, hole. Because, I, I mean, there were those, you, you typically fished at night, so there might have been not people out fishing at night. But uh, but if you've been a disciple in meetings all day long, you're not really thinking about, now let's fish all night too. It's, yeah. uh, and so, um, so I think most of those, at least his own party, probably wouldn't have been out there that night uh, unless he he takes him out there. Right. And maybe just point out one other thing, we can we can uh, then take a break, but it says um, a great windstorm arose. And of course, Sea of Galilee is actually quite low. It's about, it, it, it may even, I think it's even maybe below sea level, but there's some mountains around it or hills really, but they seem like mountains there. And so when the wind would sweep over those those mountains and come down into the over across that Sea of Galilee, uh, it could it could stir up a great windstorm in a hurry. And so what you might have started out with a very calm sea, and then very quickly suddenly all those waves are are crashing about your boat. And it says uh, that uh, the, as the wind blew, it says that they were being swamped, um, so that the waves are blowing right over the edge of the boat. And uh, it's it, the the, the uh, ship is in danger of being sunk, and uh, and it seems kind of crazy to us. I, we don't know, but uh, a lot of people in that day, even if you were a fisherman, you didn't necessarily mean you were a very good swimmer. You might not even know how to swim. Yeah. Uh, you just 
stayed in the boat and you tried not to get out too far from it. Um, and so uh, the, the people in the first century were terrified of the deep, of the depths, uh, because the water just seemed uh, just all encompassing. It would just, you would be submerged in it and lost. And, and so they're in danger of being swamped into that. But then it says, he was in the stern sleeping on the cushion. Um, and uh, and I, I just think that's so interesting. Number one, it, notice it, it says, at least in the, 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 this CSB translation, it says he was uh, in the stern sleeping on the cushion. And that, it, it might have been a cushion like we think of a pillow. It might have been just a, a soft uh, part of the boat that you could rest your head against. But uh, remember, Mark's gospel is the one that many people believe probably was really ultimately came from Peter, that John Mark might have actually written it after uh, interviewing Peter and uh, getting the information from him. So if this is Peter's boat, he'd know that cushion well. In fact, the disciples might have fought over that cushion at times, that one soft spot. Who's going to just after a long day get to that that nice chair, uh, the comfortable couch? Uh, but after Jesus is taught all day, he's asleep on the cushion. Uh, he gets the seat of honor. But the question, of course, is, but, I mean, these disciples are absolutely terrified. I mean, the water is, the waves are crashing right over the edge of the boat. Like, you got to be soaking wet. The water is going to be sloshing back and forth across the boat. If you're lying down the boat, you're soaking wet. There's water, and the water's coming down on you. And you've got a bunch of fishermen yelling and howling and screaming in fear and there's just how on earth could you still be asleep? Yeah, like we can read this story in the comfort of our study, and not and just keep on reading. But if you stop and imagine what's actually going on at that moment, everybody's terrified they're about to die, and Jesus is sound asleep. Yeah, and he wouldn't have been protected at all from the elements, right? Right. Like there was there's, there's no, no top cabin. to it, probably. Yeah, no cabin yeah. down below. Uh, it's all open, and so. Uh, and is, so you have to ask yourself, how can he be asleep? And there's, there's only two explanations I can think of. One is that he's just that tired after teaching all day long uh, and getting up early in the mornings to maybe praying all night. Like the guy's exhausted. And you often find that you, there's just those moments where Jesus keeps saying, let's get away to ourselves. Let's, let's get away from the crowd. Let's, let's yeah. rest. And, uh, um, and so... He, I, I, you get a, I think you get a glimpse of his humanity there. Like he, he didn't have superpowers in the sense that he could just work 24/7, never be tired, never be hungry. Um, he had all the same physical limitations that we have, and, and you get a glimpse of that right there. Yeah. Uh, but I also think that he's the Prince of Peace, and I think you get you see what it looks like when you're the Prince of Peace. It, it doesn't mean that you never sail in a storm. It just means that you're not afraid of the storm. It means that you can still have peace in the storm. And I think that that's one thing that that really demonstrated to me as I read this was Jesus never promises that if you're a Christian, you'll never sail into a storm. He, what he promises is that he'll be in the boat with you when you do. And mm -hmm. if the Prince of Peace can sleep like a baby in the middle of a storm, then what that means, I think, is that you don't have to be worried or afraid when you sail in that storm either. Just just keep your eye on the Prince of Peace. If he's sleeping, it's going to be okay. Uh, but the problem is we, we turn our eyes to the waves and the wind and the sound of the fury, and we lose sight of the Prince of Peace. Um, 
And uh, and I, I think, you know, we certainly saw this when during COVID. Uh, there were a lot of Christians that were very anxious, very fearful. And I, I'm not saying that you shouldn't have been careful and 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 taken precautions. I'm not I'm not trying to make light of COVID. I'm just saying that when Jesus goes with you, no matter what happens, no matter what you face, you, you can the Prince of Peace can make all the difference in the world. Richard will be speaking at the Billy Graham Training Center at The Cove, just outside of Asheville, May 15th through the 17th on The Ways of God. Uh, This is going to be a fantastic seminar, and the uh, lodging at The Cove has already been filled, and so you can join a wait list if you want to stay at The Cove. Uh, There are other options. You can stay nearby, find your own accommodations. You can also still register for meals at the Cove. You can also just register to attend only the sessions. So there are still options. So we just want to encourage you to go ahead and uh, book your travel if you intend uh, to be there at the Cove. And we hope to see you all there. As always, uh, all this information can be found um, at the links in the description um, and at thecove.org. Sam, just as we kind of wrap this up, there's a couple of things left just to highlight real quickly, and that is the the, the disciples, uh, they, they they wake Jesus up. They don't wake for him to wake up. They shake him awake. And they and they said they say something very interesting in verse 39. They said, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to die? And when I when you read that, sometimes you have to stop and say, No, that there's something wrong about that statement. Teacher, don't you care that we're gonna die? And, and what I realized is you look at that, ask yourself, now what's wrong with that? What are they saying? And first of all, well, I would say that they, they probably said at least three things that aren't correct in one, in one statement. They've said three things that are wrong. Uh, number one, they've called him a teacher, which he is, but he's a lot more than a teacher. Yeah. He's, he's the Lord of the universe. Uh, you know, I've had some good teachers in my life, but I'll tell you what, if I was on a sinking ship, I wouldn't. I, it wouldn't give me any comfort to have any of those teachers on board with me. <laughs> they just all drown with me. Sometimes you need more than a teacher. And what I found is for some Christians, they really look at Jesus like a teacher. And so as soon as the economy goes bad, as soon as uh, the wrong party gets elected to office, uh, as soon as uh, there's a, a crisis somewhere in the world, uh, they wring their hands in fear because uh, Jesus to them is not much more than really a teacher, mm. not not a universe-ruling Lord. Uh, they call him teacher, which is sort of a clue right away, okay, they, they don't have a high enough view of Jesus. Yeah. Number two, it says, don't you care? Now, it's interesting, when they, when they weren't in a storm, they never questioned Jesus' love for them. Yeah. Why is it that when all of a sudden a storm brews, now they're questioning God's love? Uh, and, it, you know, you and I have seen that a lot. When, when life's going well, there's all kinds of Christians that can praise God and thank him for his goodness. But as soon as difficulties come, as soon as they lose a loved one, all of a sudden, God, you, you can't love me. I don't, I'm mm-hmm. not sure I love you. Uh, well, you got you to gotta settle God's love long before you sail into a storm. Don't wait till you're in the middle of a storm to decide if God loves you or not. You settle that at the front end before you ever set, you sail into one. And then the last one, they said, we're going to die. Don't you care that we're going to die? Of course, they're not going to die. And my dad, uh, in Experiencing God, famously said, um, they thought they knew the truth of their situation. Several of those men were fishermen. They, they had spent their whole life on that sea. And their expert opinion was, 
you can't survive a storm like that. But my dad would say, but truth was asleep in the back of the boat. Uh, Jesus said not that he would just tell us the truth, but that he was the truth. And you really don't know the truth of your situation until you've heard from him. So Mm -hmm. you may think that you know the truth of politics or the economy or the state of the nation or your church, but you really don't until you've heard what God has to say. And so what's interesting, just the last couple of things to point out, at verse 39, it says he got up. And again, you have to ask yourself, why does he get up? I mean, why does he stand up in a boat in the middle of a storm? If you've ever tried to stand up in a canoe, you know it's not a wise thing to do, no. right? Standing up in a boat is not wise. But in a, in a, a small boat being tossed in, by, uh, in, the, in big waves in a, in a storm, like, does, does Jesus have more power when he stands up? Is it easier to do a miracle when you stand up than if you're lying down? Like, could he, would he not have been just as powerful lying down to, to calm a storm as to stand up? Why does he stand up? Again, it's an interesting question. Yeah. Uh, I, I think, and again, it's just speculation, but I think it's for the sake of the other little boats. I mean, everybody in his boat can see what he's doing, hear what he's saying, but the other little boats can't. I think when the people in the other boat saw Jesus stand up, all of a sudden they took their eyes off of the waves in the storm and they put their eyes back on Jesus. And so that they weren't going to, I think Jesus didn't want them to miss. If, if he was lying down and just whispered to himself, be still, he would have calmed the sea, but nobody would have known it was him. He's going to do it in a way where all the glory goes to, to God as a result. Uh, and it says he rebuked the wind. He doesn't negotiate with the wind. He doesn't try to buy it off. He doesn't try to make a deal. He doesn't have to. He's God. He's not a teacher. He is completely in control of every storm of our life. He's not intimidated by any storm that you face or I face. He rebukes the wind and, and said to the sea, silence, be still. And again, I ask myself, now I get the point about being still, because once the waves are still, then you're not going to be fearful anymore. But, but why does he tell the storm to be silent? And of course, if the wind stops, it's still, it will be silent. But um, why does he say silence? And again, you just have to kind of meditate on that. I, my, my feeling is it's kind of like watching a horror movie on TV, which I don't do often. But, uh, you know, if you've ever watched a scary movie, but you turn the sound off, it's not nearly as scary anymore. You know, you're not hearing the creaking doors opening, the creaking on the, yeah. on, the st- on the floor. You're not hearing the heavy breathing, the chains rattling, the, the music violins, you know, playing to a crescendo. It just, it, it's not nearly as scary. And, uh, and I found sometimes if you're being fearful, you need, you need to quiet things down. You need to silence a lot of voices, a lot of things that are having input in your life. Uh, It's amazing how your fear can subside when you stop listening to a lot of noises. And there's a lot of noises around us. So he he tells the wind to to be silent and then be still. And it says there was a great calm. Uh, In other words, if you've ever been by a a, a sea or body of water, after a storm has passed, the waves are still choppy and you watch the waves rolling in for quite a while afterward. The, 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 the residual effects of the storm can be felt. But uh, you get the impression that when Jesus rebukes the winds, there's just like a utter total calm. And, and I've thought to myself, God, that's sometimes what I need you to speak into my life. Uh, I don't need any choppy waters in my life. I just need total calm. And, 
and, and no matter how bad the storm may be in your life, he can speak that into it. And then notice just the last things here, verse 40, it says, uh, he said to them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Now, I'll tell you what, if you're afraid, you're afraid, aren't you? But he actually rebukes their fear. Um, he asked them, why are you afraid? Um, and I, again, over the last couple of years, there's a lot of Christians, I think, that God might ask the same question. Why are you afraid? Why are you letting fear cripple you, uh, immobilize you, discourage you? Um, and, and of course, what does he say? Do you still have no faith? In other words, if you'd had faith, you wouldn't have fear. Don't tell me that you have faith, but you're terrified. Um, mm. fear ca- or faith casts out fear. Uh, but there are people that live in constant fear, but they want to try to convince you that they're people of faith. Jesus here doesn't give you that option. In fact, it's interesting. He says, do you still have no faith? In other words, after all you've seen of me, the very next storm that you encounter and you lose all your faith again, you're afraid again. Like, after all you've seen me do, why are you still getting afraid every time something happens? Um, And then finally, verse 41, it says, and they were terrified and asked one another, who then is this? Now, it's interesting because verse 40 and 41 have the word fear in it. They were afraid. You know, he says, why are you afraid? And then it says in verse 41, they were terrified. And there's a, those are actually two different words for fear. And the second one is more powerful than the first one. And so what strikes me about that is he's, the, the, the disciples were scared of the storm, but they were terrified of Jesus. Hmm. It's actually a stronger word. And I'm thinking to myself, they thought the storm was a big deal <laughs> until, until they got a real close-up view of the awesomeness of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And suddenly they realized, oh, there's something much, much bigger than that storm. And he's in the very boat with us. We don't need to be afraid of some puny storm when we've got the, the Lord of the universe in the boat with us. And I love that question, who then is this? Now, they knew it was Jesus. But they, what they understood, they realized was, but our view of Jesus was much, much lower, smaller than it should have been. We, the reason we were afraid is our view of Jesus was too small. Mm. Uh, he's not who we thought he was. And, and I pray that uh, as we go into this year and, and all that lies ahead, that we'll realize we're not immune from storms, but we just need to remember who's going to be in the boat with us. Yeah. And he's bigger than any storm we'll face. And so as you're reading, especially when you read in the Gospels and you read about Jesus, um, verse by verse, don't just take some you know statements for granted. Don't just brush past some verses that don't seem to contribute very much. Just keep asking those questions. Well, why did he do that? Why did he say that? Why did he point, you know, why was that important? Why did he do it at that time? Why didn't he give them a good night's rest and then sail during the daytime? Well, he has a reason for what he does. There's a purpose for everything. Uh, And so the Bible might not answer all those questions, but it might also give you some insights and some perspective that you didn't have before. Yeah, well, it's a lot to chew on, and I appreciate you taking us through this, Richard, and until next time. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If this is something you enjoyed, it really makes a difference if you leave a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We always love hearing from our listeners. So email us at podcast at blackv.org.